Hi guys, KO here. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila, where we are working to inspire positive, radical social evolution by uniting mission-driven humans. We have the Dr. Peter McGraw in the house. He's a PhD in quantitative psychology from The Ohio State University. He's a fellow podcaster, author, keynote speaker, including a TEDx talk, a professor and an adventurer, even some weightlifting, I've heard. Peter has been a guest on The Joe Rogan Show and appeared in a multitude of media spots, including The Today Show, The New York Times, and The Wall Street Journal. It's a really terrible metric because you can have a meaningful relationship that may last a few weeks or months or a couple years that may change your life, you may look back on it fondly and, you know, it spurred great growth. And you might be in a relationship for 10 years that you look back on and you go, I can't believe I wasted all of that mm-hmm. time. Enjoy this conversation and be sure to check us out wherever you get your podcast and the video will be on YouTube. Cheers. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Questioning a better way, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. I am so excited today, as every cast, but we have the Dr. Peter McGraw in the house. This is actually a long time coming, and I was on his podcast, and we had a phenomenal conversation. We're both actually in Denver, Colorado. Um, we have a, a pretty a, some pretty solid things in common. My background, my academic journey is not as in-depth as his, which we'll share, but before I jump into the bio, Peter, welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. I love that we're both in Denver, but we are in our separate residences, our we separate are. studios, which we yours are. is much nicer than mine. Yes. Um, at full transparency, it's actually not. I've, I've seen his studio. It's very legit. It's beautiful. Mine is um, a part of my garage that we rebuilt out, <laughs> but I appreciate that it looks that way. So as a branding professional, we've done we've done our job. Indeed. Okay, so let's give you the 411 on uh, Dr. McGraw here. McGraw is an expert in the interdisciplinary fields of judgment, emotion, and choice. He has a PhD in quantitative psychology from The Ohio State University. He's a fellow podcaster, author, keynote speaker, including a TEDx talk, a professor, and an adventurer, even some weightlifting, I've heard. Peter has been a guest on The Joe Rogan Show and appeared in a multitude of media spots, including The Today Show, The New York Times, and The Wall Street Journal. There is so much we can talk about uh, with Peter. He is an expert in so many things in the academic arena, but really IRL in real life. He's actually walked um, through a lot of things. But today we're going to talk about his initiative, The Solo Life. It's a podcast and it's for the single person's guide to live a remarkable life. If you know me and you listen to Tumor Tequila, you know, my focus has always been in my business, in my athletics. I've had relationships along the way, but it's never been my main draw to life. So I think we have different starting points, but Peter has really put um, an academic standpoint to this. And again, it's not only like teaching and sharing his gospel, he's living in it. So I'm really excited to unpack that. So without further ado, Peter, why don't you give us a little bit of your version of your background? Yeah, let's, um, I think we should step into the single stuff. Okay. Um, because Rock and roll. I think it's, I think it's hard to um, disentwine them. Uh, fully. I To be honest, I don't think I'd be as successful in life if I had any sort of luck with the ladies as a young man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean, at age 16, I was already putting off marriage. Uh, so uh, I, I have a story. I was part of a lunch table and the topic of when you will get married came up with this group of six boys, 16 year olds. 
And the question was when, not if. And I would, I remember my answer was the highest of the group. And I said, oh, I probably won't get married till after I'm 30, which is not a big deal these days. But at that time, the average age of first marriage was 25. Yeah. It's been creeping up um, close to, close to 30 now. And I ended up, uh, you know, just sort of struggling with my home life, unhappy parents, um, a bad relationship, not good role models. And I, um, I just wanted to go out into the world. I wanted to shake the dust off of uh, my South Jersey roots and see the world and have adventures. I wanted to become an academic and an athlete. And I, you know, I threw myself into this world because the world of relationships wasn't quite working for me, as it often does, doesn't for a lot of young men. And um, luckily had success um, academically, athletically and built this really wonderful life as a professor at the University of Colorado, had relationships along the way, but they never quite fit. They never quite worked. And um, as a result of that, you know, the world told me there was something wrong with me. And some of my exes might have said the same thing. <laughs> um, you know, despite healthy, happy relationships, these were not tumultuous ones in, in any way. Um, they just would reach a certain point and I wouldn't want them to move forward. I wouldn't want as we'll talk about to merge my life fully. Um, fell into the, the study of humor, spent a dozen years cracking the humor code, um, doing a lot of those things that you mentioned. And then um, sort of on the cusp of turning 50, I, I turned my attention to my bachelorhood, to, to living single. And uh, the realization that I was living single and living well and that I might have some insights, both personal and professional to impart um, on a world that doesn't talk much about this topic. Um, and yet the world has changed quite a lot demographically uh, since that 16 year old boy was sitting at that, at that lunch table. That's amazing. So I wanna start at the very beginning of this and mm -hmm. uh, that background was perfect. So well done, gold star here. Uh, it, it, do you think it's a product of um, your initial childhood and because of your role models, because I will jump ahead and say, I think even to this day when I'm not married without kids at 41, almost 42, mm -hmm. I feel like my parents feel to this day, even though I've had success and I'm genuinely happy, like they feel some guilt around it because they are divorced. And while they they're, you know, they're good, they're healthy relationship now, or as healthy as I think parents can be. Yeah. Um, but I think they still carry some stigma. So did, do you think that was a major piece of your journey into this solo life very early on? You know, I've reflected on this a lot, and I'm not one of these people who believe that all of our problems can be traced back to, you know, our childhood. Um, some of those things are genetic, some of those mm -hmm. things we've learned bad patterns and so on. I would say that I didn't get off to a good start. Um, you know, my dad was largely absent. Um, my mom um, really struggled uh, with an emotional um, disorder. It was a chaotic household. It was a difficult place. We grew up poor. I, I say we were food stamps poor. We weren't welfare poor. Um, for me, I didn't have those role models. Yeah, so I didn't see that as um, as kind of a guaranteed path to happiness. If anything, it, it seemed a little risky, frankly. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was, um, you know, I was so much under her thumb you know, her trying to protect us. And, you know, this is a single mom, sometimes working three jobs. You know, she just put the clamps down on us because she, because she loved us because she wanted to keep us safe. And uh, my sister and I, you know, frankly, really resented that because we were good kids. And so when I went off to college, 
I, I felt this freedom that I had never felt before because I always had to be this good little boy. And that was, that freedom was intoxicating to me. Mm-hmm. And especially so, cause I didn't get intoxicated. I didn't drink in college. Um, and, um, well, and it took a long time to sort of develop the, the, the sort of develop the kind of skills to have romantic and sexual relationships work well for me. And while that was happening, I turned my attention to other exciting endeavors that were, as you know, incredibly rewarding. Um, and what has, what has happened, and I'm happy to talk about, is um, this recognition that there are many ways to live a remarkable life. There's not just one way to do it. I happen to be living mine, but in the simulation, perhaps I am married. Um, perhaps mm-hmm. I have children. I certainly am in some situations. I've had some near misses in life. And um, some of those relationships would be, I think, outstanding would be stellar and then others would be really quite fraught you know just statistically right 33 percent of marriages end in divorce and most relationships end whether they end in a positive um, or negative fashion and so the the story of relationships aren't a story of fairy tales as much as they are a story of personal development mm-hmm. and um and challenge and growth and heartbreak and, um, and, you know, spectacular experiences. And so this idea that, oh, you do this thing and you will be happy is overly simplified and frankly, not supported by the data. So well said, I agree with you. Nurture and nature, in my opinion, always plays a role in where we come from and how we walk through life. And uh, I don't know if you're religious or spiritual, I kind of segue on the other side of like, we, we have control, you have to show up intentionally to make choices, but a lot of it is not in our control and things are just happening. Perhaps, you know, if we do have this lined out path, depending on what you believe, you know, things are as they should be. So why do we need to fight it so much? And like society puts us in these boxes where we need to be doing things a certain way. Um, but I always kind of line up somewhere in between, like, it, you know, it is what it is. It's meant to be a certain way and, or potentially nurture in nature. Cause I look back at my family experience and I think most people, it looked very picture perfect from the outside and it wasn't, nothing is, but it was for the most part, pretty darn good. And I learned so much. I saw my parents didn't hide fights from us or anything. And while I think most people think that's bad, I'm truthfully grateful that I had that Intel early on. Mm. And like you said, I saw the work and the commitment, not that it was tragic or that I'm against marriage. Now I am just very aware of the amount of work that goes in and I'm used to working hard at things I care about. So if I'm packing in one more thing, I need to work really hard at there's not a lot of space for that. Like it's, it's opportunity cost. Like it only can go so many spaces. Indeed. I actually, one of the things that I talk a lot about is what helps make a single person's life remarkable is this economic notion of optionality that the time, the energy, the money, the resources that you would spend on a partnership, a family, especially Mm -hmm. could be turned to other things, to write books, to make podcasts, to develop vaccines, to, um, you know, to run for office. There's, there's so many ways that you can dedicate your life that is worthwhile to the world beyond this one way, which is to produce children and promote growth mm-hmm. at a global level. And so I think that that, that is a, an important recognition that we want people living in the same way that we, we celebrate diversity with regard to ethnicity and religion and sexuality and, and so on. 
I think we want to, to support relationship diversity because um, both families and non-families contribute to the world. They do so in different ways and they often do so in really complementary ways. Absolutely. When, so, you know, being very aware, it sounds like, even, even as a young human and kind of being a product of environment, but really understanding, I think on a deeper level earlier than a lot of us probably did, when did it really flick on for you that this might be my avenue, like the solo life? Like, instead of keep trying to do what relationship after relationship, like, what was the point where it's like, I'm going to approach this differently? Cause this isn't a mm -hmm. talked about thing. And, you know, as you said, you're approaching 50, what was the point where it's like, I'm outside of society and I'm actually going to make this non thing a thing, or at least I'm going to start talking about it. Yeah, so I would say there are a kind of, I think there are kind of, there's several points along the way. This was, this was 50 years coming, not 50 years coming, but this was 34 years coming, right? So age 16, already recognizing I'm different. Age 34, I moved to Boulder, Colorado. I took my um, first academic job as an assistant professor at the University of Colorado Boulder, a dream job for me. And I wanted to celebrate it. And so I threw myself a bachelor party and um, no, no <laughs> engagement, no girlfriend or anything. And um, I remember actually the email that I sent out, uh, the subject title was premature bachelor party. And in it, I said, if you come to this party, you're absolved of having to come to a bachelor party party should I ever get married. But I already was doubting at age 34 that this was going to happen for me. And so I decided to, to celebrate my bachelorhood. By the way, a bachelor party with a true bachelor is a little bit more fun than the <laughs> typical one. At least there's less guilt associated with the activities. For sure. Um, and I had, I had 15 friends fly in from all over the country wow. to, um, to celebrate this. I think that the next thing that happened for me was fast forward ahead about four years. And I had a um, kind of a very dynamic relationship with a woman, long distance relationship, who I, a woman I fell in love with. And that relationship struggled from the very beginning, despite our very strong attraction to each other. And a lot of, and really actually sharing a lot of the same values lifestyle perspectives. She's a, she's a wonderful, um, a really wonderful person, but she really wanted to have children. Mm -hmm. And I have never felt a, a strong tug to have children. Frankly, I never really felt anything about wanting to have my own kids. Um, I was sort of so focused on all these other things. It, it's not because I thought I'd be bad at it or anything. I just never really wanted to do it. And I was honest with her about that. And that that caused a rift that eventually ended the relationship. And it was heartbreaking end to the relationship. And I remember exactly where I was in my apartment. Um, I was standing by the side of my bed and it came over me as I was lamenting. Um, hey, <laughs> universe speaks. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, for, that's for people who are watching the video. So, um, I, I remember like, you know, regularly feeling what's wrong with me. Why can't I make this stuff work? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I remember having this insight in which I realized I'm happy when I'm single. Mm -hmm. My life, it's a good life. Um, you know, it is one that is healthy and it's happy and it's fun and it's, there's personal growth and there's professional growth. I have a 
huge group of friends. I have 15 friends flying from all over the country for a fake bachelor party, you know, just four years earlier. And I realized that I don't need this to happen to make my life for me to be complete. I'm already complete. And then the last thing really was just very simple. It was, I was looking for a new project. I was looking for a new creative endeavor. Um, I was winding down the humor research and I thought, oh, I'm gonna write a book about turning 50 and, and about turning 50 as a bachelor and about how to do it well, because there's not many resources out there for single people. And that initial idea turned into, um, to a podcast first, a solo, The Single Person's Guide to a Remarkable Life. It's not just for men, it's, it's actually for, for both men and women. Two thirds of my listeners are women. I think they tend to be a little more um, keen on seeking out resources. They feel the pain of being single. The world's a lot harder on single women than it is on single men. Um, and uh, it's been life-changing. I mean, as a result of this, uh, this project, I have a new approach to dating. I have, I feel, I feel comfortable for who I am. And then most importantly, um, it's been my, the most emotional project I've ever had. I'm probably at the point now where on a daily basis, I receive a message from someone thanking me for this work, saying, I felt all alone. I thought there was something wrong with me. Um, I was getting it from all angles from, from, you know, from society and from the people who love me. Um, and now I see that I don't have to do this thing to live a remarkable life. And I had a, I had a woman say, I'm glad you were born. Um, I've never had someone ever tell me that they were glad I was born. And a stranger from Washington, D.C. put that in an email to me. And wow. so I'm compelled to um, to get the word out. I think that feedback, it's such a deep compliment. Thank you. I'm mm -hmm. glad you were born. That's so intentional and in depth, because I don't know that people are saying that to, I'm a huge Madonna fan, but Madonna or Oprah, whoever you look up to, yeah. I, I know they're influential, but I think it just shows the grips of society's expectations mm -hmm. on our everyday realities. Even as we're grown, educated, aware, adult individuals, there's still that like stigma that carries so heavily with us. And I'm certainly, um, that I said, certainly something I still carry to this day and that I, and I work, but it, even, uh, you know, I, I have never seen, I've never dug into any sort of like single life community or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, that's work just like being in a relationship, <laughs> chasing the single community, the same thing. But when I found out about you, shout out to Steve, he actually told me at DSR and he's like, um, I've got this guy and he's, he was doing this podcast. Cause we did this thing, great conversation on recovery. And when he asked me, he's like, but are you single? He like covered his mouth. Cause he didn't want me to be embarrassed. And I was like, Dude, right. you, can, you can straight up ask me, but in that, in that transaction uh, or in that conversation, I'm like, oh my God, that like, I'm not embarrassed. I'm like, we've crossed that road door. It's like, this is my mm -hmm. authentic self. And if a relationship happens, I'm not completely to the space of like where I've got it all figured out, but I'm certainly content on where I'm at. And my heart and mind are open. If that goes towards a relationship or goes towards a business initiative, whatever, but mm -hmm. still in this day and age in 2021, I think it was he was, you know, concerned about my feelings about asking if I was single or not thinking that if I said, yes, I would be ashamed. So, yes. and you brought up a good point that it's a double-edged sword for males versus females. And you talked about this on one of your casts, but tell me a little bit more about how your conversations are with men versus women in this solo community. Yeah, certainly. First, before I say this, one thing that's very nice about you, Kristen, is that you are not single in my eyes. You are solo. And there's a difference between those those two things. 
Um, and I can talk about that if you want, because By I think means. your listeners are going to want to figure out, are they single or are they solo? <laughs> Let, let's go. All right. We'll get back to the boys versus girls thing in a bit. So um, single is about relationship status. It's about de demographics, right? Are you partnered or are you not partnered? That, that's there. And the average single person has a single person's mindset. They want to ride what we call the relationship escalator. And until then, and we know you, you don't even have to know the definition of the relationship escalator. You know the relationship <laughs> escalator. It is featured in rom-coms and love songs and Jane Austen novels. And it's everywhere around us. And it is the most important adult-adult relationship that you can have. Those singles feel incomplete. They're looking for their better half. They're looking for their other half. They are hopeless romantics, wanting to find their Mr. Darcy and to have, have it all and have that bliss and to be accepted and to celebrate it with all of these things along the way, engagements and weddings and honeymoons and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the solos of the world may or may not want that, but they feel differently about it. So the... So that first group, I call them the someday group, right? The someday's, the hopeless romantics. The next group is um, the folks who feel complete. That is, they are a whole person, right? They have this solo mentality. They may welcome someone coming into their life, but it's not to fix their problems, it's to add value to their life. Right? And so these people tend to be more autonomous, they're more self-reliant. They also tend to be unconventional thinkers more generally because they sort of, they, they see the matrix a little bit better, so mm -hmm. to speak. The group of what I would call hopeful romantics, the people who would welcome that person and want that sort of traditional relationship, I call them the just may group. I just may find my Mr. Darcy, but if I don't, that's okay. Life goes on and I have this other full rich life. There's two other groups. The next group is the no way group. That is that they are not interested in dating or a relationship at the moment. This is not a goal of theirs. And this is an incredibly large group, Kristen. There are 128 million single adults in the United States. So nearly one out of every two adults are single. Half of those single adults, according to a Pew Center study, are not interested in dating or a relationship. This is an incredibly big group. And I say this, and I want to say it very, very clearly, it is just as normal to want a relationship as it is to not want a relationship. And there's almost no conversation for the no, the no way group. And then the final group, again, share those same things. They feel whole, they're complete. They tend to be self-reliant. This group, especially are unconventional thinkers. These are the people who would like a relationship, but it's gonna look different. It's gonna play by a different set of rules than the traditional escalator relationship. So for example, I've never wanted to live with someone. And those happy, healthy relationships that ended, if they didn't end because of children, they ended because my girlfriend wanted to move in. And as much as I loved her, I didn't want that to happen. Maybe those relationships are non-monogamous. Maybe they're friends with benefits. Maybe they're a platonic partnership. They're, they lack sex and 
or rom romanticism within them. And so this is the new way group. They're looking at relationships in a new way, in a way that works for them, works for their preferences and their feelings and their desires and for the people who are, who are involved in their, in their life. And so I say, I see you as a solo. I don't know if you're a, I don't know if you're a just may and no way or a new way person, but the way you talk about being single is that it is an option, but not a necessity. You're not going to look back at your life and feel like a failure because, because you didn't do this thing. Um, Absolutely. I even, and you know, as I've gotten older, reflection upon those relationship experiences have been very clear, even happy in them. I would mm -hmm. thrive on my freedom and not checking in. I, I mean, same reason I'm entrepreneur. I'm not here really for here for a boss or I'll do the hard work. I'll do all my things yes. I need to do, but I'm not really one that's guided by uh, a leader as such. So, and even in a relationship, it's about compromising things. And in due time, I think even the new way is appealing um, I, and, and as you said, like 25% of our young adults or millennials are projected never to marry. I would think that's, that's right. if you get around a group of young people, I can't even keep up with all the labels that they are, aren't lots of new ways. Yeah. Yes. And mm -hmm. I'm here as a branding professional. I, I think most of it's overbranded. I say, just do you, but I know society needs to package these things in. Uh, but we have no idea what's coming or how it gets together. I just care that people are happy because you see on a larger scale, mental health and wellness and everything else, if those labels are important, right, that are feeling whole and whatever space you walk in is really, you know, a key piece to your happiness. That's what matters because now we're dealing with school shootings and much larger issues. Indeed. Um, but yes, this, the solo community, I think provides that space for people to identify and, and feel at home in some capacity. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's been a bunch of work prior to me getting involved in this movement that, that looks at what's called singleism. How are, how are singles discriminated against? You know, they, they pay, you know, there's a whole bunch of workplace stuff that they deal with. There's tax issues. There's the cost of living, et cetera. But to me, the biggest challenge, and this is where um, I see the biggest difference between men and women, is just the sheer pressure of it all. Mm -hmm. And it's coming at you, again, oftentimes well-meaning um, pressure, which is like, Kristen, you're so great. Why are you single? All the time. All the time, right? All when are you going to have a child? Yep. When, you know, when are you going to start a family? All these kinds of things. And women feel that pressure more so um, in part um, because they're on a, um, they're on a clock, mm -hmm. so to speak. And so um, there's this sort of waiting for Mr. Right to come along, you know, because some people are single by choice. You know, some people make this choice to do this. Other people are single by chance. Um, so I have a forthcoming episode um, with uh, Melody Notkin, and she has presented this idea of otherhood. These are women who value children, but for yeah. cir some circumstance, she calls it circumstantial infertility. They have not had a child or they won't have a child. And um, that's, you know, so these often women feel a lot of pressure. They feel guilt, they feel shame for not doing this thing uh, that's there. And so, um, you know, those people, especially who are single by chance, who might be struggling, maybe they're in a place where there's, it's hard to find good partners. Maybe they're just in a, in a bad place in general. Sometimes it's just purely just bad luck. You invested a lot into a relationship and it didn't break the right way and you ended it rather than continuing a bad relationship. And so a lot of those conversations are, are kind of around how do you make this thing work in a new world 
where suddenly um, there's not just this one way to do it where everybody couples up soon after you know, high school, soon after college, and then they stumble along for 40 years, some <laughs> happy, some not. But the one piece of, of um, that one you know, gold medal, that gold star that they're looking for is time elapsed, right? How do you judge a relationship in current society? By the length of time that it existed. And I think that's a terrible metric. It's a really terrible metric because you can have a meaningful relationship that may last a few weeks or months or a couple years that may change your life. You may look back on it fondly and you know it, it spurred great growth. And you might be in a relationship for 10 years that you look back on and you go, I can't believe I wasted all of that mm -hmm. time. You know, we need a different metric by which to judge the quality of our relationships. Well, absolutely. And I think it should be your own personal happiness and only one person can answer that. And that's you. That's right. And, yeah. But you have to have, you know, an evolved set of skills of your own personal awareness that I think also isn't talked about, you know, when we're young, that comes much later, at least for myself. Mm -hmm. But I, I have a lot of female younger listeners. And that's why I was so excited to have this conversation, because I think even at 41, I'm experiencing probably a different sort of, you know, judgment from my surrounding communities, my fellow humans um, than they are. I think, I don't know that it's more acceptable or less acceptable, but I feel like they care less than I did at their age mm -hmm. because they do see more of a diverse circumstance across all arenas. Um, but I think it's important for our women to hear in particular that don't feel pressure that's going to, especially for my ones that don't feel like kind of, they sound like how you were very young. I don't think I was very clear early on. Um, but I've also, my career and everything else is always just kind of like, I've followed my heart as cliche as it sounds and just gone the way I've never been super clear on a destination, not, not motivated, just open. Yes. Um, but for my young ones that are pretty clear that that's not the space they want to go. I, I think it's so important for my young females, regardless of what you are hearing or not hearing to lean into that. And I think this podcast, while we're older, um, exemplifies that community. And just at the minimum, they know it's a thing. Mm -hmm. Can I say something? Mm -hmm. The story of the rise of singles is a story of the rise of women. Um, so there are many reasons why we have more single people on the planet than ever before. Um, so one is just simply longevity. People are living longer and you just happen to have uh, an age gap, you know, and so men tend to die younger. So you have this a whole bunch of older um, women. You, um, you have more singles in societies that have uh, immigration because immigrants tend to be singles. They also tend to be entrepreneurs. Um, I think, you know, so entrepreneurs are over, excuse me, singles are overly represented as entrepreneurs because they have the freedom to take these big risks, to swing for the fences um, that's there. Something also, an invention, one of the greatest inventions is birth control. Talk about liberating women to be able to make their own choices, to pursue their own paths. There was a time where if you got pregnant, you're like, you're getting married. You know, the, the, the shotgun wedding was a real thing till very recently. And, and then most importantly, um, women are doing better than ever economically and educationally. And you know what happens when you give women access to education and you give them access to economic opportunities? Some of them decide, I don't need a man to survive. There was a time in US history and other places in the world, and they still exist today in, in some places in the world like India. If you wanna leave the familial home, if you wanna leave 
the house that you grew up in, mm-hmm. you had to move in with a man because that was the only way you could support yourself. And so I, um, you know, I like the word spinster. So it's used as a pejorative to describe women like you, Kristen. And I think it's unfortunate because actually your spinster sisters in the, you know, in the 17th century, 18th century provided a valuable service. They could, they could create textiles. They could spin a loom and this was important work and they could be paid for it in a place where women almost could not find jobs they could be paid well enough that these women could live on their own. These were liberated women who were looked down upon, but they were the precursors of today's women who get to decide whether they want to get married, who get to decide whether they want to have children. And it just happens when you give women choice, some of them decide to do it and some of them decide not to do it. And I think that that's a world that I want to live in. And that's a world that if I had a daughter, I would want her to live in. And so this, the story of, of the rise of singles is a story of women's empowerment. This is not something that should be lamented. Now, the flip side of that is when you give women access to education and you give them economic opportunities, some of them will start to outclass the men in their life and they'll find it difficult to find a worthy partner. And that I think is an unfortunate downside and is a very real problem for a subset of women um, who would like to do this traditional thing. I'm so glad you brought that up because there's a few categories here and I agree with you. It is very much a a female movement and there's in-depth conversation about birth control and female rights and obviously everything we're (laughs) dealing with the government right now and Roe versus Wade. um, (laughs) probably need some weed, but you know, there's, there's a lot of angles we can go here, but it's, it's funny that there's a multitude of categories because I am around a bunch of women like myself, Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, are entrepreneurial, have their own business or have got married later in life, have frozen their eggs. Some have chosen to have a baby without a partner and just use insemination, all these different things. And I have a group of friends that truthfully, they are remarkable females. They're looking for an incredible man. And they've really, and I'm not here, I'm a feminist at heart, but I'm also a misogynist. Like I'm, I'm really here for people to just be happy. It's not about one better or worse or what have you, but it's, it, it's a thing. I will say my personal experience of people, a lot of women not being able to find their equal. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't I didn't even know that was really like a, a talked about thing outside of our, our female circle group. But it's it's really true. Why do you think that is such a major piece of the puzzle? Yeah, I mean, so now we're, let's wade into a little bit about the downside for men. So so men um, struggle are struggling. So first of all, men are unpopular right now. Mm-hmm. And that's a nice way to put it. Right. And, and as a result of their unpopularity, um, the world's turned a blind eye to their challenges. So um, I mentioned the age gap earlier. Um, on average, an American man spends seven to eight years less on this planet than a woman. Why is that? Well, some of it is he works more dangerous jobs. He's more likely to be murdered. He's more likely to be homeless. He's more likely to commit suicide. He's more likely to be an alcoholic. Um, you know, so men are struggling 
in, in a lot of ways. And they're in some ways they're really falling behind. That's hard to imagine in a world where we mm-hmm. have, where most male billionaires and CEOs and um, senators are men. But when you look across all of men, not just the most successful one-tenth of one percent, um, you, you see a lot of men struggling, men struggling with loneliness. Um, more men live with their parents than, than women, for example. Um, uh, you know, wh- campuses are, are getting out of proportion where, you know, more than 60% of uh, undergraduates are women now. Um, and there's, there are men who are just quitting, you know, they're mm-hmm. just, um, they're just stepping out and, and the worst of them, um, you know, are getting involved in the manosphere, the incels, playing video games, leaning into pornography and, and so on. Um, and those men have zero chance of actually having a healthy relationship because one is they're not developing the skills for a healthy relationship. Moreover, no, no successful woman would want anything to do with them. And so what you have is this sort of world of haves and have nots. Um, and, and, and in the dating pool, this is really quite striking. Um, so for example, um, the average man on Tinder takes a hundred swipes to match with a woman um, a average woman takes 10 swipes to match with a man. This is, we're talking wow. heterosexual right now, right? This there. And so, but the, the men who do get the hits, you know, are, are the successful ones and there's just not enough to go around if, again, and this is the big if, if you expect your partner to do it all. And if you think about it, as we move from arranged marriages to love marriages, which I believe is a generally a good move in the world that you get to choose your life partner rather than your, your in-laws and your parents, the pressure for your partner to be a good lover, to be a good listener, to be a good provider, to want a vacation with you, to want to have the same lifestyle, to eat the same things, to, to do all the things together is such a steep task. It's such a high set of expectations for some people. They just can never find that person because they statistically don't exist. Like if you are a woman who makes $300,000 a year and wants a man over six feet tall, good luck finding him because he's such a tiny part of the, the population. And then, and so we have this sort of tale of two worlds um, where you have a whole bunch of men who are struggling with loneliness, misogyny, feeling left out of society, and then a too small a pool to, um, you know, to, to be good partners for your group, group of friends who are searching. And, and the pressure as the clock ticks along, as I said, is, can be a lot to handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you said something really key, though, that every relationship struggles with or something in, in addition to like being single as socially acceptable, not having your relationship be everything. I don't think mm-hmm. your husband or wife needs to be your best friend, your liaison in this, your business partner. Like, I think it can be I always advise to all my friends and myself included, keep your friends close, like have your significant other yes. and then have your best friends like that man doesn't need to be my best friend or have all my girl talk or like have a balance. And I think that that conversation itself is overlooked. You're looking for this person to be everything. I don't think anyone can do that. 
It's very difficult. I mean, I know some people who do it, but they are, you know, they're the exception rather mm -hmm. than the rule. But the world teaches you the rom-coms, the love songs yeah. and the Jane Austen no novels suggest that this is the way it's supposed to be. This is where I believe that singles have advantages over partnered people, right? Because um, one thing is that, that singles actually have a more diverse group of friends and connections. They're more involved in their community. They're more likely to volunteer. They're more likely to donate their time. They have what I call a team. And so the happy ones have a team, a group of people, um, you know, that are friends and family that they, you know, like I have friends I call when I have business problems and I have friends I call when I have relationship problems and I have friends that I call when I want to stay in on a, on a Friday night. And I have friends I call when I want to go out on a Saturday night. No one of my friends can do all of those things for me, nor do they need to. And what happens is this is if a friend goes on a long trip, I'm happy for them. I don't feel jealous because they're not there to support me because I have this other other group of people. And so I, I talk about how, how solos have a team, this diverse group of, of um, interconnected people that, um, that help fill those, um, those needs for us. And I agree with you. I think that, you know, when I'm in a relationship, I relax. I, I avoid what I call the benefication of relationships, right? You know, Ben and Jennifer yeah. become Benefer. And it's like, if you want to, you know, if you want to go to Vegas for the weekend, go, go yeah. have a good time. If you want to go to the beach, go. I'm more of a mountain guy. You know what I mean? Like it, it in no way diminishes our love for each other. And moreover, I have, um, and I believe the solos do this, they have a lot of love to give. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have to reserve it for this small number of people. I, ha I have a good friend from college. We've kept in touch. We've gone in completely different paths. He's a, he's a family man, lives in the suburbs, makes good money, three kids, beautiful wife, you know, loving household, happy guy. Listens to the podcast, calls me every so often. <laughs> I'm hanging up before I hang up to him. I say, I said, I said, I love you. And, um, and the next time we talked, he said to me, he said, you know, I, I didn't know how to respond to that because I only use those words for my, my family. And I said, that's okay. I just want you to know that I have love in my heart for you. Mm -hmm. And I get to say, I love you a lot to a lot of people. Um, and I think that's incredibly liberating mm -hmm. to be able to do that. I don't have to reserve this, this love for this small group who has to be everything uh, for me. And so um, yeah, I think your advice for your friends is really excellent. Um, well, everyone take that note, write that down, tell your friends you love them. Cause I think that, mm -hmm. and so it, it's sincere and endearing. Our world needs just that, like just tell people you love them a little bit more. And mm -hmm. the fact that you said it, and then he thought about it later, I think yeah. is a, that's a big piece too. So it obviously it's struck and it's like, well, I don't know what to do, but then he probably really felt it. And sometimes even in the relationships, they may not be feeling the love. So you don't know how big of impact, you know, that simple statement can be. So I really applaud that. I appreciate you sharing that. I hope our young men and any age men alike hear that. I tell my male friends, I love them a lot. I have, I do. I love them. I'm, I'm not the yeah. person. I'm not the man that I am without them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I think that runs in like ancient civilizations, regardless of your sexual orientation, women need their women, men need their men. It's a very tribal communion thing. And I, I think you need to keep your same sex humans in your life in some capacity forever. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, and I also have many, many um, women friends mm -hmm. who are completely platonic um, and I love them too. <laughs> you know, yeah. I just, yeah. it, it's uh, I, I feel, I really feel incredibly lucky. What I needed to do honestly was just shift my mindset. I didn't need to change my life. I didn't need to change the way I was living. I just needed to go, Oh, what I am doing is right for me. And um, there are many remarkable paths that people can can um can walk in their life absolutely and that's quite literally a branding professional that's what i mo do with most because i work with specifically with mission-driven humans and companies and that's mm -hmm. literally what it is usually i have to change nothing all we do is shift the mindset and the way mm -hmm. we're sharing with the world and it's all the gold is there uh and I, it, that's just such a metaphor at, at you know at large um i do want to talk about we've got about 15 minutes sure because i'm so intentional about getting graceful disruption getting our words out to our younger people to shift that mindset when do you think it's an appropriate age, you know, even if you're married with your kids or if you're going to speak to 16, 17 year olds, I don't know what your youngest audience is. What's like an appropriate age to start talking about the solo life? Oh, I think um, when it becomes appropriate to talk about relationships. So um, think about it, right? This is a, this is, this world is all made up, yeah. right? This was not predestined to be the case. There's, there's little evidence um, that monogamy was meant to be. The uh, marriage is a relatively recent invention. It was, it was basically invented by church and government. Um, it was a, a way to um, uh, pass wealth through families. It's really about land ownership. Um, and so all of this stuff is just made up. And so when the socialization around marriage starts, there ought to be a conversation around um, living a, a life without a partnership, in part because a child today will spend most of their life single. Mm -hmm. Some of them will spend their entire life single. But, but when you look at, it used to be the case that pe most of people's lives were spent married. That is no longer the case. Um, 28% of households in the United States are solo. That is their one occupant. People, you know, there's a very good chance that that child will live alone. That number is as high as 50% in some Northern European cities like, like Stockholm, Sweden. Okay. And so to equip these children with the belief that their life can be good while, think about this, how terrible is it that if only a fraction of your life is going to be spent in a partnership, that the, all the time, not in that partnership, you feel less than. And, and do you want your children to feel less than? No, mm -hmm. not at all. And so I think having role models, right? So aunts and uncles like myself who aren't married to be able to have them involved and to be, to be able to celebrate what it is that they're, what makes their life good, I think is really important. Um, I actually have a, a, an editor that I work with. Um, she's a mother of, I think, three and she constantly is balancing the conversation, which is like, well, if you do that, that will be great, but it would be okay if you didn't do that. So I think as soon as the conversations around marriage and partnerships and stuff come up, it's appropriate to, to provide an alternative narrative. 
I'm glad to hear. I think that's right. And I love that you just said, we say this on Tim McTeela because I'm a big philosophy fan. Reality is nothing more than applied meaning. It's all made up. <laughs> so anytime somebody's stressed out, I'm like, take a breath. It's all bullshit. Don't we just apply new meaning? We'll, re- we'll rebrand this. We'll redo it. Um, but that's what it is. And it's the socialization and monetization of all these events. Like marriage, and these are multi-billion dollar businesses that are monetizing your hopes and dreams and aspirations <laughs> that you've been sold to. So that's another podcast. But I want to shift just because we are on a timeline. Um, how do you handle these conversations when you are dating or how do you handle dating in general, knowing that you don't mm-hmm. want it to lead to marriage? Yeah. So I, as I said, I'm a new way person. I do date. Um, I like dating. Um, I have made a major shift in my life. Um, it happened last year when I returned from, uh, living in Los Angeles to, to moving back to Denver and restarting my job, um, at CU Boulder. And I do it through honesty. No, I do it two ways. So the number one is I am 100% honest with the the people I go out with. So I tell them early, I don't want to have children. I tell them early, I don't want to move in with someone. I I essentially say to them, I am um, eager to co-design a relationship with you if you find me interesting, attractive. We get to decide the rules. We're not going to just accept this model about how we're supposed to behave. And so I end up having these like very open, positive, sometimes a little uncomfortable and a little unnerving because no people aren't really used to this, where we get to decide what are the rules. So for example, I started seeing a woman like her a lot and she's launching a product. She lives in a world like you do, uh, Kristen. And she said, you know, I'm not gonna be available for all of March and maybe beyond. <laughs> and she was sort of like, well, maybe we shouldn't get this started. And I said to her, well, that's fine. If we, we can agree to not talk the entire month of March. And if we both agree, that's not a step back in our relationship. If anything, it's a step forward. Think about how empowering that is. And you could just see her like wheels turning. And she goes, oh, I've never thought about it this way because to her relationships always need to progress. They can never take a break. The other thing is, is that what I've been doing is seeking out unconventional thinkers. I'm not interested in convincing a woman who wants to ride the escalator and wants <laughs> the the big, you know, the big church wedding and the white dress and the and all that stuff. I, I'm going to be a bad match for her. You know, this is a segmentation and targeting problem, mm-hmm. right? So I just I want to find women who who think differently about the world you know, who are more interested in, oh, maybe I'll date casually. Or if I do have a more serious relationship, it's going to look in, it's going to look like this. I don't want to move in with someone either. You'd be amazed how many people don't want to move in with someone. Mm -hmm. They're just scared to tell you that. And so, you know, I'm on different dating apps. You know, I'm not on Hinge because Hinge is, is meant to be deleted and meant to be deleted forever. And so um, I'm just a disappointment to the people in that, in that space. So to me, it's a, a mix of, picking the right people, communicating 100% honestly, which is, by the way, something that people don't do enough. They're not Mm -hmm. vulnerable. You know, like I risk every time I I talk to a a woman who I go out on a date with, I risk her not just rejecting me, I risk her going, ew. Yeah. Right? Ew. Because this is a moral issue for some people. But if I don't talk this way, I'm never going to find a satisfying, healthy, happy, connection that works for me. Mm-hmm. And so this is, I feel like I'm in a brave new world. This feels like this is a positive some world that I live in, not a negative someone. 
has this process gotten easier as time's gone on as this conversation's built in society? You know, I would say, um, I'd say I have to do a little bit of sort of coaching and teaching with, with some partners, but then others, um, you know, folks who come out of the sort of sex positive kink community, for example, they're very (laughs) used to having these conversations. They're just used to having them around sexuality. Mm -hmm. I just want to expand them into a more, um, a sort of a broader array, array of like, what is life, our lifestyle going to be like? What are expectations for communication going to be like? And so on. Everybody talks about how important communication is. You know who some of the worst communicators are, are people who are living the normal traditional life because the world tells them how to behave. Yeah. And um, and so the moment you deviate, then it the need to talk goes way, way up. Absolutely. What, what's a quick piece of advice if you've got, again, kind of leaning towards my younger listeners, mm-hmm. what if they're not sure? Like, what if like, I don't really know if I want to be not sure. Like, is there, I think self-awareness and those are things I did. They came later in my life. I wish that we'd learned some of these skill sets, you know, in high school, oh middle my God, school. Even. I know. It would have saved us probably so much time, money, energy, all the things, but what heartbreak, is something? Yes. Yeah. Emotions. Yeah. Which, you know, you can't really take back that either, but what's something for like our younger guys that are not sure. Do you have like a good exercise or piece of advice where they can start to lean into what they authentically want? Cause I think that's really this point of this conversation. It's not get married or don't get married. It's about what, get, getting in alignment with you truly want within to find yes. your own happiness. Yeah, that that's a that. Thank you for asking that question because it's a really challenging question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the first thing is to accept the fact um, that what you may want is not what the average person wants, right? There's just if you feel a little bit strange or wrong or there's something you feel like oh there's something off about me, just know that it is normal to feel that way, right? Remember half of people don't even want a relationship, (laughs) right? So if you want one that looks a little different or feels a little different, that's normal also. It's just, there's not enough conversation with it. The big thing I would say is it's okay to experiment with it, right? It's okay to try something and see how it feels and see, does it work with this particular partner? And and to do so though, is to really, to embrace vulnerability, that is to be brave. And, um, and people will surprise you, high integrity partners will surprise you. If you say to them, listen, I really like you. I'll give you a, I'll give you a quick example of this. This is from a male's perspective. So I, I've been actually, um, you, you were talking about, you know, I'm getting stronger, right? So I started working with a trainer, you know, and young guy, good looking guy, fit, um, is dating. He has no money because he's a young trainer. You know, he's just getting his career going. He's got college debts, et cetera. He doesn't have a lot of time either. He's, he, does, he doesn't drink. You know, he's not doing all the typical kinds of things. He's training for a bodybuilding um, competition. And I right. said to him, all right, here, you, here I was like, t- here's some old guy advice. You ready? <laughs> you, you meet someone you like. You say, listen, I really like you. Um, I'm building my career. I don't have a lot of liquidity right now. Moreover, I'm training for this bodybuilding competition. I can't go to, you know, I can't go to the Olive Garden with you and eat a ton of pasta. <laughs> and I can't, I'm not going to be out drinking kind of thing. However, I will make time for you. We can have a lot of fun. We can go to museums. We can go on walks. We can do these other things, which are really, you know, can be really quite enjoyable. Um, 
And um, I would love to continue to see you. If you if you don't want that, I understand, and I I wish you the best finding someone who can give that to you. But if you know if you're willing to to do this a little bit differently, I think we can make this work. And you should have just seen like. He had never thought that way, right? He's trying to do this one thing and it's never going to fit for him in this sense. And I said this, if she really likes you and if she's a good match, she'll be thrilled to go to a, a date that costs $10 at a museum, mm-hmm. right? And if, yeah. she, if she wants the fancy dinners and the finer things in life, then she needs to go find someone who does that. And you're doing both of you a favor by being honest and being vulnerable with that. And I said, give it a try. And so I have a saying on the podcast, and that's ask for what you want. Mm -hmm. The average person never asks for what you want. So I think I would just sum up the advices to your listeners is ask for what you want, see how it feels. And then again, lean into the high integrity people in your life and and move away from the the ones who, who aren't. Amen. And I hope you got that lifting session for free since you did the consultation. I, I, <laughs> I didn't, he needs the money more than I, I know, do. I'm just kidding. I was like, <laughs> no, I look out for my personal trainers, but I know the hustle so real and yeah. they're doing all, and the, the, those conversations when you're training can be so instrumental and, and good for both sides. So it's, yes. there's a lot of magic that happens. Um, really quick, tell us where we find you, what you have coming up, anything else you want to share? Sure, certainly. Um, so I, um, I think you can find everything at petermcgraw.org slash solo. Um, you can find the podcast, Solo, The Single Person's Guide to a Remarkable Life, anywhere podcasts can be found. I, um, I don't just do advocacy work. I also um, am hosting cultural events. So I do something called the Solo Salon. Um, so I'm bringing the old European salon of entertainment and culture back to celebrate um, proud singles. I'm going to be doing uh, one in July. You can find that on um, the solo page on petermcgraw.org. I also have a private community um, that's active uh, where we talk through these things uh, via Slack channel. You can apply also in that place. Check out all the amazing things. You just got a swipe today, a quick conversation of all the things Dr. McGraw is involved with, but go see what he has going on. This is a human truly walking his own path. It's super inspiring. Um, I really appreciate the time, energy, and vulnerability of you sharing that journey, but there's so much more to go in. So go see what he has going on. Dr. McGraw, I appreciate you so much. And thank you for joining us on Turmeric and Tequila. Thank you, Kristen. It's been great. Thank you for joining Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Tune in next time and don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.